When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. When I go to Sacramento, I will pump up Sacramento. Sacramento. Some say the news is fake. Others say it's real. These two don't have the time to check. Instead, Turner Sparks and Michael Ira Kaplan turn to comics stationed around the globe to be their eyewitness reporters so that you can know what's really going on. This is Lost in America. All right, everybody, welcome to Lost in America, episode 200. My name's Whoa. Turner Sparks. My name's Michael, Sir Michael Ira Kaplan, 200. You can find me at Turner Sparks on Instagram. You can find me at turnersparks.com. Buy my album, Turner Sparks, live from the Friars Club. You can find Kaplan at Cap in America on Instagram. This show is at lostinamericapod.com for video, for audio, for everything. If you're listening to us on a podcast, watch us on YouTube. We're on YouTube now. If you're watching us on YouTube, listen to us on the podcast. Do all of it. Double our views. Double our subscriptions. Do both. If Kaplan, your true fans do both yes do both on the podcast today we have the great ollie horn returning mr ollie horn is going to be explaining from england from the united kingdom from the homeland of the sparks family he's going to be explaining oh, to us merry old brexit. england brexit kaplan this is something that happened years ago we all forgot it existed i don't i can't tell if it's done and if they're out of the eu i've been researching it for days i still don't understand what's going on what do you think kaplan I don't I yeah, I, it was one of those things where it snuck up on us. I remember there was like a lot. There was a few articles that made it across the pond back in what, 2016 before the election. It was pre -Trump, Trump, which feels like 100 years ago. Yeah. So it came up and there was that guy. Nigel was making some kind of racisty speeches, anti-immigrant speeches and Trump's, you know, there were people talked about it, but we just thought it was a referendum. Whenever there's a really crazy thing on a referendum, it usually doesn't pass. Right. That's just assumed. So I think we all just assumed it wouldn't happen. We assumed it wouldn't more than assumed it wouldn't happen. I didn't know it was even a thing until it already happened. I oh, remember that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 the day after it happened, I was uh, living in China. And all, this is how long ago it was. I was living in China and all these uh, British, all these pale British people were walking around town looking all glum. And I said, hey, what's you know, what gives Brits? And yeah, they and said, was... we just left the United. We just left the European Union. And I said, I didn't even know you were in Europe. I thought England was not even I was confused from the beginning. But Kat, before we get to that, tell people where to find us. Uh, this show, Lost in America. I'll tell people you seem busy. This show uh, is Lost in America. This is where Cap and I learn about the world. But guess what? Go listen to our Patreon show. We put that out three week, three days a week. That's called Live from the Bunker. That's where the world learns about us. What are exactly. Kaplan and I up to on a daily basis? You want to know, why am I in a log cabin right now? Not why are my kids here. keep walking into this room? You will learn all about why, why, why they're here on a Monday. Uh, why they're here on a Monday and not in school like exactly. the rest of the world. So, Cap, let's what? get back to Brexit. So, yeah, yeah, I remember I was kind of happy. I didn't know anything about it, but I was... Uh, I, I hate like I like tradition. I hate the wild card in sports. I hate changing things. So, I always liked Europe when they had different kinds of currency yes. and everything. So, I... I always hated the euro. I, I liked pesos and francs and all that stuff. So I thought that's what was happening. I thought that they were just, but no, apparently it was just England was the only ones leaving the EU. And I, I don't think like, did you, I, since it happened, I just kept hearing like, there's like, uh, they can't article 50. They can't do, they can't figure out a deal. They can't, it just kept seeming like it kept not happening. 
So, I, but I don't and then we know. tuned out. We tuned out. We tuned out. That's what we do here. Eventually, here's we the thing: out. in the United States, you got to If you have news from another country, mm. you got to get in and entertain us quick. <laughs> yeah, you know, yes. you can't just say, "Hey, this news is going to develop over the over the next four and a half years." Guess what I do? Snooze. Well, not interested. Yeah. And right? that's why I think they cooked up Boris Johnson because all of a sudden they brought in an entertaining prime minister to season to, four. You got to bring in a, a new character, <laughs> a new character, to try to clean up. The problem is because it's like he's too. We already have Trump. So, you know, when you bring in the character, you got to, you know, you're casting. That's bad casting. He's too similar in some ways. He's not. So we just aren't. We're still not paying attention. He hasn't hooked us. We, we if we had a boring president here, we would be all in on Boris. I think we would know more about what's going on. Sure. You, yeah. yeah. If, if we had uh, who's that guy who ran against uh, Bush in 2004? Kerry. If John Kerry was our president, if John Kerry was our president, we would be laughing at the Brits at this guy, Boris and all his funny isms. And but as it is instead, I'm just left to think like I think it's like we just assume it's similar to us. Like we think we elected Trump. Um, just, they just decided that instead, like the conservatives basically there decided to become more nativist in a way the way they did here. The elites, everyone's against the elites, everyone's against free trade. All that stuff is what we assume is the reasons why Brexit is happening. But we don't really know. We don't, we, we, we don't we, know. And the last thing I want to say on this before we bring in Ollie is that, as you said, some people say it's there. You know, they say like the working man loves Brexit because they th- they want to get their jobs back. But then the other people are like, no, we're the world's laughing at us or something, yeah. you know. So I, I don't know where they land. I also don't know. My first question is, has Brexit happened yet? I don't know if they're out or if they're still in. Right. I know they're that. Yeah. There was like a no deal, a deal. There's all these different. I don't know where they are in it. Like where what's going on? If you go to if you go to the European Union and you want to hop over to merry old England, like what the rules are right now. Do you need a passport if you're in France? Exactly. I don't know. Not sure. So let's bring traveling anytime soon. But yeah, let's bring in Ollie. You know, Ollie from this podcast. He was in this podcast not too long ago. He is also uh, has a great show called Pig in Japan which tours when we're not in um, uh, when we're not in a coronavirus crisis in the world. He's touring live at comedy clubs and he has a podcast. Great podcast with a dude named Bobby Judah, who I met out in Japan. And that is called Japan by River Cruise, where they purport to review the best river cruises in Japan. That sounds fun, huh, Kaplan? Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't know. I I don't know even what that means, a river cruise, other than it's just mean like a like a, I, we'll find out. Let's bring him in. To yeah, find out. <laughs> in that case, I'm afraid the show. The sh- Hello, nice to be here. Yeah, Kevin, I'm afraid the show's not for you. You need to know, <laughs> you need to have a base level of river cruise knowledge. Are they like you party can... boats? What's a you river need, cruise? Kev, you need to know what the word river and cruise, cruise mean, and then you need to put those two words together in a well, way. Well, cruise ships to me are in the oceans. So yeah. this is. So we, we don't talk about cruise ships. We don't talk about party boats. Uh, we don't talk about dinghies. We don't talk about swung boats. It's, it's very specifically river cruises. Ollie, welcome either. to the show. <laughs> so listen to the river Thanks, man. Cruise. It's so good to be back. This is great. It's great to have you back. I know you are in Malaysia, right? Big time, because that makes complete sense. Yeah, oh, so you're, you're from England. I, when I booked you to do this, I thought we were talking to, be talking to someone in England. It turns out you went to do a tour of Malaysia and Australia six months ago, got stuck, and now you're mm. still there. Yeah, well, it was more than six months. This was like February. That I, I came back in January expecting to leave in February. And uh, basically because I'm British, I, I stayed. That's kind of what we do, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but but I, uh, I, basically at the time, right, people were not sure whether the Melbourne Comedy Festival was happening. So I thought, uh, well, this virus is only going to last for three or four weeks because that's all people were saying, right? You know, give it, give it a month, right? Uh, and so I just waited. And then basically no flights were available to leave the country. <laughs> Malaysia went on a really, like, really hard lockdown. Right. Like Malaysia right now uh, has had something like 130 deaths total because of COVID. Right. Like that's how well they've, they've dealt with it. And, uh, and so comedy clubs have now opened back up again with kind of social distancing and masks and whatever. But it's almost back to normal here. And so I, I now open my sets by saying, you know, I am British and I had to make the choice at the start of this pandemic. Do I want to stay in Malaysia or go back to the UK? And I thought, do I really want to live? Uh, do I really want to be in a health pandemic uh, in a developing country with crumbling medical infrastructure and no leadership? And I thought, no, I can't go back to the UK. I'll stay here where it's safe. And <laughs> wow. that started as a joke, but it's got truer and truer and truer. <laughs> They're killing you it. Just, do you live in Malaysia now? Well, basically, I mean, I've, I've had to like move apartments a couple of times because I've like been kind of airbnb But I mean, basically, there's no tourists at all. Like literally no one's allowed to come in. The only reason I can stay is because like there, there's some visa waiver system. Uh, and so like 
I think my passport stamp expired in something like March, but, but apparently there's like no trouble if you, if you want to leave. Um, but yeah, I mean, life's yeah. kind of good here, right? You can, you can buy tea in a bag. You can't do that <laughs> in the UK. Look at that. <laughs> so and they're not Ollie. kicking any foreigners out though. You're saying they're, once you're no, there, if, you're it, no, if, well, if you're here, you're here. But I mean, they were pretty mean, I must say, to um, some long-term visa holders. Because unless you were a, a Malaysian national, even if you had like a long-term visa, because they've, they've sold a lot of, I think, retirement visas to people who have paid a bit of money to retire here. You couldn't come back in the country. So like a lot, there were a lot of panic, panicked people who were like having to send people to like rescue their dogs and, you know, pay their electricity bills and stuff. So <laughs> they were really harsh at the beginning. Ollie, let's get to Brexit. Yeah. What? I'd rather we didn't. I'd, I'd rather talk about st- stuff that I'm confident talking about. Well, about too bad. Yeah, no, about. This, this show is about being confident, being a blowhard, we call it. You right. have an accent, so we respect your accent. We, whatever you tell us, we will believe. Also, so, as we okay. tell all of our guests, you know, no matter how little you know, you know more than us. Exactly. You're well, but actually, like, this, this kind of is my wheelhouse, right? Because I, I, I have a law degree, and I hmm. specialize, and I did a diploma in EU law when I studied in Japan. Plus, uh, I have a Hungarian ex. So in many ways, I'm overqualified <laughs> for this podcast. Hungarian wow. ex. <laughs> so what? So what's going on? Has, has, has England left the EU? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes and no. Okay, the, the, the UK has left the EU in the same way that you've checked out of a hotel, settled your bill, right? <laughs> After having shat in the room, told the hotel <laughs> they're a piece of shit, right? Um, really fucked the place up and then gone, like, I'm really sorry, but I've got nowhere else to go. Can I stay for another 11 months? And <laughs> that's basically where, the, where Britain is now. Technically, the UK left the eu uh, at the stroke of midnight on i think it was january the 31st this That's year right. although although as a bit of a fuck you it wasn't midnight uk time it was midnight brussels time which i thought was really funny uh, <laughs> that was obviously brussels just going got you <laughs> our rules now um and so right now we're in what's known as the transition period and the point of this transition period was by uh january last year or actually not january this year by like even before then right? We were supposed to have had a deal. And what that means is that Britain was supposed to have said, look, we're out of the club, but there are still many things we want to cooperate on. So let's come up with a new treaty to establish that kind of future relationship. And EU said, yes, we'll negotiate that in good faith. And then Britain didn't. Uh, and so, so basically what happened was, what happened was uh, the Britons just had to say, look, we're, we're leaving because we kind of said that we have to. And like uh, Boris Johnson would just get slaughtered uh, if he didn't leave on paper. And so the reason why there's all this kind of panicking now is that kind of 11 month expires at the end of this year. And at the end of this year, we're faced with the prospect of what people in the press are calling no deal. And no deal basically means like you leave, we leave the EU and all of its institutions and all of the kind of economic ties, all of the uh, kind of like citizens' rights, everything just stops and nothing replaces them, right? Like, like the, the, the UK would have like, would have like less formal legal ties with the EU than like Timbuktu, right? It's, 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 it's an absurd situation to be in. And so basically every, everything is about getting a deal. But the problem is, uh, the problem is Britain's made a lot of promises to its electorate about how good this deal is going to be. And the EU has said, we cannot give you a deal that's better than your existing membership. And Britain has said, why not? <laughs> the EU has explained that so many times. And every time we've gone, mm, okay, well, if we just speak a bit louder, uh, like maybe they don't understand us. Uh, and so that's kind of where we're at. So they're like, the England, uh, the UK is like, we want nothing to do with you, e- EU, but we want more to do with you man to use that hotel <laughs> analogy we're literally saying we'd like an upgraded suite next time <laughs> like, 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 like we're not happy with the size of the bathtub um plus also we don't want any romanians to ever come to our room that's basically what we're trying to say <laughs> <The Romanians. laughs> so can i ask uh, why why would the eu negotiate at all why wouldn't they say take it or leave it you know like a hard businessman well, move well, I mean, that's a very American way of looking at things, I suppose, because we're dealing with diplomacy, not business, right? And remember, the reason that the EU was set up was to prevent war, basically, right? It started with, with like a coal community of basically uh, countries going, well, we're, we're fighting over natural resources. Why don't we standardize the price and stop fighting, right? And the EU has now become, it's, it's become a political institution, right? And the reason why the EU doesn't just want to tell Britain to fuck off is firstly, uh, 
the UK is still EU's biggest trading partner, right, in terms of like goods and services that are exchanged. Uh, and so it is in the EU's interest to continue to trade with the UK. I mean, while it's easy to say, well, you could just strike up a trade deal with Japan or Australia, you forget those places are ages away. So it's like much harder to sell stuff there. And also, the Japanese don't want our cheese, right? Uh, so <laughs> English cheese. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so also the like there's kind of a there's a duty to negotiate in good faith and what that means is that like the eu can't just say go fuck yourselves like the point is there's already been an agreement uh, that they're going to unpick the ties in a nice way uh, the, the problem is britain's just not used to being nice <laughs> we, yeah you guys want to rule the world still in some way right like well, do you know what you 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 say that but i i think regrettably that that is a really strong part of the narrative you know that, that britain used to to have an empire you know we could we could do it before we can do it again and, and there are proposals saying well we can kind of re re kickstart the commonwealth and come up with trade deals to but it's like what what possible good does myanmar have for our financial services <laughs> over and above frankfurt it just makes no sense at all so can i here's the obvious question okay why is a neat deal being negotiated now if the vote happened four and a half years ago? Shouldn't well, a deal have been like, what were people voting on four and a half years ago yes, if they didn't the problem. know what it was? Usually you Great. negotiate a deal and then when everyone can see the deal, you vote on that deal. Good. So th this, <laughs> this is a very intelligent point, Turner. And this is what legal commentators in the UK have been saying kind of from day one, right? Like I, like I follow some of like my old law tutors on Twitter who are like, like, it's so surreal. They're like the people who like the queen phones if she needs to know what the constitution says, right? And they said that the single most ludicrous thing that the UK did was to structure the Brexit vote this way. And the reason it happened was David Cameron was struggling. David Cameron is the former British prime minister. Yes. Uh, I mean, maybe I should change the word former. The, Big fan the, of the like, pod. The disgraced British prime minister. <laughs> he, um, he had a big problem that there was a growing far right movement in the UK led by Nigel Farage. And so he had to basically solidify the, the right of his party to make sure that they didn't migrate to, uh, to, to another right wing party, right? Because the, the Tories, the Conservative Party have stayed in power for now the last decade, basically because they've managed to uh, not let the far right take any vote share, right? So Cameron, you know, just to jump in quick, Cameron's on the right, yeah. but he's not the far right. He's like a normal right. Yeah. But he had to yes. appease the far right. Yes. Yeah, so I, I so he gave them a referendum to... thinking he would lose, right? Is that the... Go ahead. So it, in my view, there was no question at all that Cameron thought that, that he would win the referendum because he had previous in this. Because remember a couple of years before, Scotland had a referendum on whether they would leave the United Kingdom, right? And, uh, and, and that lost, right? So Cameron, I think, miscalculated that, that Britain wouldn't be so stupid the british people wouldn't be so stupid as to as to vote to leave and i think the miscalculation was partly his own ability to uh, to like lead that campaign like he just led it terribly uh, secondly the fact that there was clearly interference from russia and other foreign money helping the the leave campaign and thirdly the fact that the framing of this issue was was basically a question of hearts versus minds right the the technical legal complexities of the uk's relationship with the eu are too big for any one person to fathom right like like although I, you know i've said right like i literally studied this uh I, I studied like intellectual property law through the perspective of the european union even i couldn't begin to think about how do you untangle the two legal systems they're so tightly intertwined and so they were never going to win the argument on, on those grounds. They, like, they had to win the argument on something to do with the heart. And there's basically nothing you can say in favor of the EU because the, the narrative of the EU in the UK for the last 30 years has been anytime there's been a problem, it's the EU's fault. So, you know, we've got, we've got uh, problems with unemployment. That's because there's free movement of people. There are EU uh, citizens that are coming to the UK and taking your job. Uh, the truth is they're probably not, but that's irrelevant, right? It's, it's a matter of, of how people feel rather than the, than the truth that's important in these things. And, and so the, the Leave campaign kind of captured words like sovereignty, which basically mean nothing, right? But it sounds good, doesn't it? Do you want some sovereignty? Mm. yes please right like you know one's <laughs> going to turn down sovereignty are they uh and so that's kind of how how that campaign you know just just about got over uh got over the edge and so the people who were in charge of the leave campaign the likes of 
uh, Boris Johnson at the time, of course, wasn't a cabinet MP. You know, he, he, was, he was just, a, just a, a kind of a regular uh, minister. Sorry, not, not even, a, yeah, a, no, he wasn't a minister. He was just a regular a member of parliament. Um, Michael Gove, etc. You watch the video of the results night. They are completely shocked. They have absolutely no idea what to do because their calculation was the Leave campaign would narrowly lose. Then they would all of a sudden have a big base which they can galvanize for the next, for the next election. They miscalculated it. So all of the promises which that campaign made, which is, you know, we'll be leaving the, we'll be leaving, uh, the EU, but we won't be leaving Europe. We're still going to have close economic ties. The EU are going to strike a trade deal that's, that's of equivalent uh, terms to what we currently have. All those promises were easy to make because they never thought they'd be executing on them. So what's happened now is basically all those lies have caught up with them. And it's very easy. It's very easy to win this argument in the abstract, but the moment you have to write it down in black and white, uh, all of a sudden problems occur, such as the Northern Ireland problem, which I'm sure you've read about, right. uh, or, you know, such as, you know, whether the UK can stay in the customs union and also strike its own free trade deals like they were claiming they could. And these are basically insurmountable problems, right? Like there's, there's, there's just no way of, it's like a, like a suck and blow thing, right? There's no way of, of actually winning. And that was never a problem when all this was in the abstract. So what? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So and, and ironically, now Boris is the prime minister and he has to be the specific one dealing with all this, right? Yes, because Bo- this was basically, I think Boris calculated his only chance to become PM. Like he's wanted to become PM, PM since he was a little boy. Theresa May, I mean, Theresa May, she's not that, I think the problem with Theresa May, she's just not that good, right? The main problem with Theresa May, she probably maybe means well. Like I think she probably does have a sense of like patriotic duty. She's, she was a bit of a, she was a bit of a rotter in the home office in that like if you were if you were if you were brown you probably wouldn't like her uh right like, she, she, she wasn't she wasn't that good to, to to immigrants uh but like generally when she took when when she took over um from david cameron because remember david cameron right held the, held the oh, wait, let's, let's, yeah, so i just want to catch yeah. everybody up real yeah. quick so just the basic history because to us the last four years of what's happened with brexit it might as well be it's the same as trying to learn the la- like the 30 uh, uh, dynasties of China in a week. <laughs> We're just like, I don't understand it at all. They have prime ministers. The prime ministers at some point, they resign. That never happens in the U.S. We never have presidents be like, you know what? I've done a bad job. I'm done. And then yeah. and they call elections all the time. Presidents like in the U.S. Weeks. just get assassinated by a virus, don't they? <laughs> well, hey, 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 he's still not yet. Not yet. You know, we're going to hold long, China accountable long, for that. But let's move. Yeah, we're holding long, China long range, long range assassination from China. <laughs> um, but no, so so even that. So it went David Cameron and that he was the one who put this up. And then he said, let's just have a vote because either way, it's going to lose and I'll look good because I let him have a vote. Then the vote Precisely, won, yeah. and then he resigned because he went, whoa, yes. I didn't know that would happen. I'm out of here. Then Theresa May came in. She tried to fix it. Didn't happen. She resigned. And now we're at Boris, right? Yes. I mean, that's, that's a very good summary. So the, the, the mistake that David Cameron made was the structure of the referendum was all wrong, right? So the, the main mistake that David Cameron made was what should have happened is, as you said, we should have said, right, shall we go to the EU to negotiate another option? Once we have that other option, let's bring that option back to the people. Would you prefer that new option or would you prefer the existing option, right? I mean, it, the analogy literally is like, do you want to move to a different hotel, but you don't want to know what the new hotel is going to look like or where it is. So when right? they vote on these different, different options, is this the people voting or is this parliament voting? Well, what actually happened was uh, David Cameron never tried to get a deal because he left. Theresa May did. She brought loads of options to parliament and parliament, even her own party, told her to, to fuck off with these options because none of these options met the promises that were made to the electorate. And of course- okay. They, they just logically couldn't be. So and one, of the main, one of the main problems that Theresa May, Theresa May had to solve was the Irish border problem. And yeah, this is an about area that. about which, well, it's an area about, about which I don't know enough details such that an expert watching this won't get very cross. But very, very simply put, you, you're trust, trust me, me, trust me, experts are not still watching. <laughs> if anyone is an expert in this, they have tuned out 20 minutes ago. We don't want experts. We welcome okay. regular people. The Our audience is okay. the biggest group of dummies on planet Earth. No, we, are, future, right. no blowhards. They're, they're not blowhards, experts, but they can play one. So that's okay. Yeah, let's this is respect. all people so, listening to you so that later on they can go to a cocktail party and tell people that they can act like they know this information. Right. Yes. Should yeah. I make up a fake politician? Because I think I think I can say any any weird word. It would sound like a legit British surname, wouldn't it? Sure. Uh, 
So, so and last thing I want to say, though, say Cameron, she's from Cromwell, the fake politician. No. <laughs> Cameron, Theresa May and Boris are all the same party. When you resign, then you get to put up someone from your own party. It's not like you resign and yes. then uh, someone well, they, from the other side comes in. Yes, exactly that. So basically, the, the way that it works is, uh, I mean, officially, the queen was mad. Officially, the queen appoints the prime minister. But of course, yeah. practically, it's whichever party has the majority. Uh, it's their leader. It's that party leader. Right. Yeah. And so when, when we're voting, uh, we vote for our local member of parliament, of which there are like, I don't know, 650. We have different constituencies, just like the, U, just like the US. Um, and basically, although... Uh, practically people say you're voting for your local MP, really you're voting to make sure that the prime minister that you, that you want gets in. And yeah. so David Cameron's big mistake was he had a party that was kind of being pulled apart by, uh, by Nigel Farage and this right-wing movement. And so uh, he, he, he held this referendum without doing what he should have done, which is to say, we're going to do two referendums. One, shall I, go to you, shall I go to Europe and see if they can strike us a new deal? Two, shall we go for this deal? And what's funny is, right, Nigel Farage at the time, thinking that he would lose, even proposed this. That Nigel Farage is on record saying, I think if the um, vote is something like 52-48, we should have a second vote. So most, you know, most people, even him, thought they were going to, to, to lose, right? Nope, so yeah. Cameron held this vote, simple in-out referendum. There wasn't proper checks on spending, so the Leave campaign demonstrably spent way more on Facebook ads than the, the Remain campaign. And, you know, we know that they wouldn't spend that money unless it was worthwhile. We know that it's in big business interest for the, uh, for the UK to leave the EU because it means that they can change regulatory standards to make it easier to make more money from workers. Uh, you know, we know that it's uh, in Russia's interest to break up the, the EU because, you know, basically companies have more power than individual governments, but 28 sovereign governments together actually still have more power than, you know, so it's in Russia's interest to, to, to break the EU up, or at least maybe not to break the EU up, but just to cause some chaos to, sh to, to shake the bucket. So Cameron made that mistake. He realized that the problem was basically insurmountable. And so he resigned. Theresa May then <laughs> what's funny is Theresa May wasn't even elected by her own party all the other candidates left for various reasons so she was like the last last woman standing she had a choice to make right either she could say she could be honest with the British people and say the platform on which the the Tory party um has you know has has, has won their previous election and this Brexit deal uh is just not possible right therefore we need to come up with a third way Theresa May made, made a calculation that she didn't have enough MPs for her party in Parliament in order to get any deal through. So she thought, even if I negotiate a good deal, there aren't enough Tory MPs left because a few defected, you know, a few set up an independent group, uh, which didn't really amount to much. So Theresa May held a general election. She got trounced. She lost MPs, right? So she, she created a, a more difficult problem for herself, uh, which was basically... Uh, she, you know, she has to have an even more compelling deal that both sides of the house uh, will um, will vote for, and this was in the context of having triggered, as uh, Kaplan's mentioned, Article 50, which I think, right, if David Cameron's big mistake was the structure of the EU referendum, right, not just having a simple yes/no, rather than a series of questions like, do you want to stay in the European Economic Area? Do you want to stay in a customs union? Is it important to you to be able to, you know, live and work in other countries? Is it important to you to stop uh, unrestricted immigration from certain countries? Is it important to you to be able to export tariff-free? Right, you know, those are the kind of more sophisticated questions we should have been answering, and of course, most people couldn't answer them, right? So that's <laughs> That kind of shows that we should never have been asked in the first place. Uh, so that was David Cameron's big mistake. Theresa May's big mistake was triggering Article 50. And that was done purely as an act of jingoism to try and unify the country. Article 50 is the mechanism in the EU treaties, which basically says, uh, let's, let's come up with a way in which um, a member state can leave the EU. Now, the, the original drafter of Article 50 said that they never intended for this to be used. It was actually added in almost last minute when they were tying up the, this treaty because it just seems kind of jurisprudentially illogical to have a means by which you can enter a club without a means by which you can exit it. But it was seen as so improbable that anyone would ever want to leave the EU, right? It just makes no, you know, countries are trying so hard to enter it. There are so many advantages. Why would you ever want to leave it? So it, it, it was fairly poorly drafted, but basically it said, you send a letter and by automatic operation of law, after 24 months, you're out. 
So what okay. it did, and, and, and so this, this mechanism actually was borrowed from German law. Oh my goodness, what happened there? Um, was actually borrowed from German law uh, because they have a mechanism there to encourage people who are getting divorced to come up with a quick settlement. So what that means, if you say to the court, we're going to get divorced, in German law, you have a, a kind of a set amount of time to negotiate. And the, the, the thinking is, if you have a, a set amount of time to negotiate your exit strategy, then it's going to kind of focus minds and you're going to have a higher chance of... Uh, of, of coming up with a deal, right? So that, that mechanism was never, I don't think anyone ever thought it would ever be used, right? Because remember, all the EU is, is a series of treaties. That's all it is. And all that Britain has to do is negotiate a brand new treaty. And there's the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties, which is the established mechanism by which you make and stop treaties. Britain never had to use Article 50. Right. Britain never had to use that specific mechanism, which basically gave all the power to the EU, which basically said, two, you have a two year ticking time bomb. If you don't manage to persuade the EU that you've got a better option, you're out, come what may. Right. You're out. No, so we, you're out with nothing you're on your own. Exactly. And there was a mechanism by which there's a mechanism, for example, by, by which you can extend those two years. But again, that's at the discretion of the EU and, and all the yeah. member states agreeing. It's just, so, it's, just a, it's, it's just a cruddy, it's a cruddy bit of law from the UK's perspective. Theresa May triggered that without having a plan. And that was her big mistake. Okay. She thought, she thought it was the right thing to do because it was like she could send a lovely letter by courier with lovely British headed paper sent by Postman Pat, you know, like really proving that, uh, you know, this is it. We've started the process. But it was a load of pomp with nothing behind it. There was literally no, there was no plan to meet some of these insurmountable legal, legal hurdles, such as the island problem, such as the, you know, can we still fr start strike free trade deals so, without leaving the customs union, et cetera. So let's talk about those. So that's it. So she basically just said, give me 24 more months. That's all she wanted, but let's what, talk well, about- Yes, exactly. I mean, and she didn't have to, there was no pressure. This is the weird thing. There was no pressure from the EU. The EU wasn't saying trigger this. The ah. EU was saying, you're mad, right? The EU was saying, let's come up with, with something such that by the time we've started triggering the, these, uh, this time period, we already know the direction we're going to be heading in. So, so what were the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, what the, what is the Northern Ireland? What are the main issues that are oh, going on today? Yeah. I know there's a new article about the Northern Ireland thing that's literally being negotiated now. Can yes. you explain that? Well, well, so the reason why that's still live is there's basically no solution. Uh, the Northern Ireland problem is the following. The, the island of Ireland is split into two sections. One, the Republic of Ireland, which is a country and a member of the European Union. And there, if you go, you spend euros, right? Another, and then at the, at the north of Ireland, you have a principality called Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom, because it's the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, right? And to cut a very long history lesson, very short, there are some people that think that it's wrong that Ireland's not one united island and that Northern Ireland should go back to Ireland. And there are some people which say, no, Northern Ireland should stay as part of the United Kingdom. And those people uh, are so strong in their views, sometimes in the past, they've resorted to killing each other. This is where the drink, so, the Irish car bomb came is, from. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's your knowledge yeah. of the whole history of the IRA and everything. <laughs> yeah. And, and Daniel so, Day-Lewis, I believe, was leading that charge. <laughs> there was and, some and violence. The, I remember this growing up. Yes. This is yes. A, and, so, and so that led to something called the Good Friday Agreement, right? And, yes. and, and But one of the good things about the EU is it kind of paper mashed over these problems because, <laughs> like, because the unionists, right, who want the island of Ireland to be functioning the same, don't like the idea of a border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, right? They like mean like a hard border, like a wall. Yeah, exactly. Like a, yeah. a wall or border guards or any kind of friction, really. Like they like yeah, the idea no that you can, drive, you can drive past freely, you know, you can trade freely. That functionally, functionally, you know, of course, legally, there's a big distinction between the two. Functionally, if you're living on the border, uh, there's never going to be any trouble, right? There's never going to be any border guards to blow up because you're not happy that they're there. And that was because of the EU, because the United Kingdom and Ireland were both members of the EU, which had you know, a single market and free movement, free movement of people. Uh, plus, um, you know, there were certain rules about people in Northern Ireland could have both passports and, you know, th there's just various fudges, right? And what Brexit did was kind of expose the fact that there's a necessary tension, that if the United Kingdom leaves the EU, there are going to be different rules and regulations on one side of the quote-unquote yes. border to the other. And so what do you do? Do you, do you just not enforce them at all? Well, the EU is not going to allow that, are they? Because then the Northern Ireland will, will just become a backdoor to, to getting around customs charges, right? Do you think if, people if, will if, literally be like sneaking out of the UK into like running across the border trying to get, well, become an EU citizen? Well, I, I think the, the, the more realistic concern is like, you know, 
like tariffs not being paid. Like if you're exporting to France, ah. for example, right, from, from Ireland to France, uh, like you could, ju- you could just find a way to not pay those import charges. Uh, or, you know, if we think about the customs union problem, right, like if the point of a customs union is all the countries in the EU agree that tariffs are set at a certain rate, if the UK is going to try and be competitive in the world and have lower tariffs, then that would be a backdoor way in which you could get those goods into the EU at a lower yes. tariff. And of course, the, e- the EU is not going to allow that. And so the big problem with Ireland is how do you stop what they call the, you know, the hard border? And a hard border can mean many things. It can mean, you know, literal physical uh, checkpoint. You know, it can mean, it, but even something as simple as having like customs officers, that, that's enough to create So currently they again. don't have any of that? There's nothing no, of course. the border? No, no, and you, you can literally drive past freely. I mean, you know, you are, you know, there are places in which you ask for your, for your passport, but the point is that they're both in the EU, and so it's so it it's fine. Doesn't matter that much. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, and you know, the the issue that what, what what Theresa May did, which was was actually quite smart, right? She said, "Well, let, let's do what what she called the backstop." And the backstop basically said, "If we don't come up with a deal which allows." Uh, which allows this problem to be resolved, right? A, a trade deal, meaning that, you know, Northern Ireland and Ireland are in the, you know, ha- have some kind of similar economic arrangement such that there's no need. If we don't come up with a deal, by automatic operation of law, we will make sure that at least the territory of Northern Ireland adheres to the same rules as the European Union, right? And so basically what that ah, meant was okay. that, What that meant was that at least in that section functionally it's the same and, and it was very funny how this was being championed as see people in northern ireland are going to get a great deal they're going to get access to the eu single market <laughs> everyone's like Wait a minute. <laughs> if it's they so good it why are they keeping it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so this this kind of northern ireland backstop was the reason why her deal was not accepted by her own party and and she tried to get it through parliament three times and she failed and because she failed um she 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 left office in in um you know, in, in, in a big kind of fireball of, of disgrace. She, you know, she, she, didn't, she didn't achieve what she set out to achieve. And uh, that was partly because, again, in my view, she, she made the big mistake of triggering Article 50 without cross-party consensus on, on what on earth to do, without acknowledging the fact that she was trying to, to create a unicorn. It just, the deal, the, the, this platonic ideal of a deal just never existed in the first place. Okay. So what about, what's the... Um... Uh, this isn't very through... funny, is it, this chat? No, this is great. Well, this is good. I <laughs> just go through... It's supposed to be a fun podcast. <laughs> this is fun. Well, what... we, want to, we want to know. We don't know a lot of stuff. Well, yeah, oh, like yeah. I was wondering what was, what are, it could be fun. What are some of the things that um, are the promises that were made during the Leaf campaign that are just not possible to be negotiated? That was in? my question, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, th- th- this is the really funny thing. What was said over and over again by the Leaf campaign is we can make our own laws. Finally, the EU is not going to make laws for us. We can make our own laws. in Brussels, right? (laughs) Precisely. And there were things like, for example, uh, Bendy Bananas. There's a very famous newspaper article that was written by Boris Johnson when he Ah. was a newspaper columnist, which basically said that the... the, uh, the, uh, It's just the whole thing was a complete fabrication, right? Basically, that the EU was going to legislate on how bendy a banana can be before it can be circulated across the single market. It's obviously bollocks, right? Maybe there was some, some standard you know, in some technical document somewhere relating to something and out of that kernel of truth came the story. But what's really funny is there are basically no specifics that the Leave campaign asked for. So it's, this question cannot be answered. There's a, a broadcast journalist called James O'Brien and he has a, a, a radio show on a station called LBC. And his favorite game is he gets Leave voters to call in, right, who are angry about something, right? And he will say, why do you want Brexit? And they, they, they try and find a way to explain why they want Brexit, which isn't predicated on some racist belief, right? Deep down, that's pro- that's, that, 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 a lot, I'm not saying everyone who voted for Brexit is a racist. That's ridiculous. But I think if you are racist, you're more likely to vote for Brexit. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, that that's what I will say. And so uh, James O'Brien will, will do this thing where he'll have people talk, you know, I, I'm, looking forward to, I, you know, I'm looking forward to sovereignty. The EU have told us what to do for so long. You know, Britain should be making its own laws, blah, blah, blah. And then he'll always ask the question, what law are you most looking forward to changing once we're out of the EU? And he's never got an answer. He's literally never got an answer because this was never based, this was never based on individual kind of discrete tangible improvements that can be made to the country this is based on a, on a general idea of getting more sovereignty right so, taking back control 
have any have any laws changed so far or are we still waiting for this december 30th yeah, well, how are your bananas looking in other words <laughs> the are they looking too phallic are they phallic are they looking well actually it's funny since i didn't realize since going to asia for the first time the bananas didn't have to be the way they were how are right? bananas is, in i'm England. not talking in terms of i'm not talking about oh, this isn't a euphemism but like if you've you've had like bananas in thailand they're like kind of more stubbier but they're like way sweeter, way nicer. Well, wait, 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 wait. Stop and tell us what, ban- I'm confused by this whole banana thing. Tell us what are bananas like in England? We need a starting point here. Yeah. Well, are they well, straight I mean, or are they bendy? Well, they're, they're, they're slightly bendy. They're, you know, they've got, a, they've, got a, they've got a curve. And let me put it this way. If you were to, if you were to put bananas end to end, your circle would be quite big, right? Because they're not, right. they're bendy, but not that bendy. Right? All right. So what did, why does it matter how bendy a banana is? <laughs> Well, it doesn't. I mean, that's the point. Forest. It just doesn't. But it's just, was just, he just had to meet a deadline and get clicks on I mean, his article. So he made exactly. up, like, he exaggerated rules that are probably in some but book that no one was enforcing. What were the exactly. undertones of what he was saying? That other well, countries... The, under, the, the undertones were that, that, that Brussels are kind of meddling bureaucrats, that there's a load of red tape that is created by Britain's membership of the European Union. And look, there is definitely a valid argument there that necessarily... I mean, to give a very, very brief overview of how the EU works... Each member state is sovereign. By that, you know, by that, it means like we haven't created some kind of federal system like the United States, right? Every state is able to do basically what it wants, but it's agreed to have two types of laws, right? The first type of law basically says the EU will agree on a direction and all member states will uh, kind of adhere to that direction. So it might be something like a product safety standard, right? We want to make sure that uh, in children's toys, there are a certain type of fuse, right? It doesn't matter how you get there, but we need to make sure that there's a certain tolerance, right? So that's, that's a really good example of how each individual member state might, want, you know, might have its own way of doing it, right? There's another type of law which has what's known as direct effect, which means that each individual member state creates what's known as enabling le- legislation, so through their domestic parliament, and it's through that that any EU law automatically becomes kind of the domestic law of that country. So what that means is that the, the European Parliament can vote on a law and without, it have, without, special implementing legi- um, le- without special implementing measures in a member state, that EU Parliament law is now automatically law in the UK, in France, in Germany. So what would be an example of that law? Because that seems like I, I would be like, well, I would be a little, I, I would push a little back, not push back, but be weary of what if they create a law we don't want? Yes. Well, well, that's the good thing, right? But the, the, the good thing about, about this is it's kind of safeguarded that it's only in relation to very specific um, elements of uh, very specific problems that are related to the good functioning of the single market. So it might be to do with like um, the, defin- the definition of a nurse, let's say, right? It might be something like that, right? Like, you know, like something very, very bureaucratic, very technical, just to make sure that, you know, the, the, the market operation, because the point of the EU, right, is that if you make a product in France, it's as easy to sell that product in Spain as it would be to another city in France. That, that, that's the dream, right? That kind of standards are equalized. So it's almost so, like a really high-level trade agreement. It is. It, it basically is a trade agreement, but, but it's a special kind of trade agreement which looks at all kinds of barriers to trade. So rather than, uh, you know, just looking at kind of, um, kind of normal barriers to trade, such as tariffs... Yeah. or, you know, certain standard. It looks at uh, slightly more obscure things. For example, Germany might say, we have a rule that a certain type of liqueur has to have 40% alcohol. But there might be a, but that might be because traditionally in Germany, it was always like that. But there might be a French exporter who makes a liqueur to 35% alcohol. If they have to change their design just to sell to the German market, that creates extra costs for them. Yes. So what the EU law says is, well, let's just standardize if, if it meets this standard and we all agree on this standard, then it can be sold everywhere. So those are the kind of, those are the kind of things which the EU is actually quite good at, right? Making sure that if you create a product or, or you, you want to sell a service, you can do so basically with, without friction. Uh, and likewise, if you're an individual and you have a service, right, you know, on the labor market, you can perform that basically anywhere uh, w- without friction. So what is, what's the EU bad at? Just, just play the other side real quick. Give yeah. us, because here's a couple of things I'm thinking of. I yeah. remember when um, uh, Greece which they might still be. I don't know. That's for, a fu- that's for a future episode of yeah, our podcast. No, we had an episode on Greece. But do you know, when, I remember when Greece 
cratered their economy cratered and i remember in germany they were saying like the a, a common uh complaint was like oh well because we're almost being penalized in germany we have to now support greece economically yes. that was one another one is uh turkey which possibly will be a future episode mm. has this crazy dictator now i know turkey is not in the eu but they do have some trade agreements they're in the customs union yeah in the, customs in the customs union, union. So can we all can if the EU decides like, ah, we're going to let that dictator do whatever he wants. He's not harming us. But what if England or what if another country is like, whoa, whoa, we want to go in and go after him. How does that all work? Yeah. So so basically the what what you're kind of talking about is the fact that the EU's kind of got quite big and part part of. Yeah, I mean, you you might say too big. I, I wouldn't say that it's not really a question of size. It's a question of competencies. And so what you have right is a a kind of a structure which wasn't necessarily set up for nearly 30 member states that's having to um deal with for example economies such as greece or um, italy or some of the eastern european countries which has a very different uh you know a very different economy a very different way of working to the likes of france germany and the uk yes and so and, and so one thing that you know one uh, one problem is, you know, the, the Eurozone is very tightly linked to the EU. They are actually slightly separate, right? You know, you know the UK never changed the Euro. Um, and, and so, you know, what what happens is that a country, if they, if they face some kind of economic crisis, such as Greece did, they might have a, a suite of tools available to them to respond to it. By having given up a certain degree of sovereignty to the EU, the tools in their arsenal are now reduced. So, so that is a legitimate criticism of, 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 the, of the EU, right? Do if some of, of your, countries. would like your tax dollars or Germany's tax dollars go to the EU and then be funneled to Greece? Yes, I mean, in, in, in practice, yes. And, and the reason for that is that the way that the EU thinks is it's better for us to have a buoyant market to sell to. So like, you know, an analogy might be if you have a shopping center and the east wing of the shopping center has burnt down, even though your store might be in the west wing, it's kind of in your advantage to chip in a bit to rebuild the west wing because then more shoppers are going to come to it. Yeah, in, no, it's in, the analogy. I mean, it happens in the, it's ca- so like California, you send money to the federal. I don't know if this works exactly with the US, but it's the same yeah. concept. The US, you want the whole country well, we should, to be. We should cut that off, but no. <laughs> but but that's actually you just said like england or the uk has never switched over to the euro so was that never a problem with well i mean do, do you know what's really funny this is one of the kind of in my view really quite sad things about about the about brexit that if you are a new member of the eu the the standards that you have to reach are quite high so you have to like have a certain level of of like yeah. economic activity you need to have a certain human rights record you need to sign up to um the european uh Human, like the European Convention on Human Rights, which is separate mm. to the EU, but it's you know. Did Turkey kind of sign that? Uh, I don't. Hang on, have have they? <laughs> ECH. I think they might have done actually. I think yeah. they might have done, but you know, it's not very strictly enforced. Because <laughs> I, I think Russia is also a member of the oh, European Court of Human Rights, right. if I'm not mistaken. This conference has gotten too big. Yeah. The Belgian uh, Congo is joining next yeah. week. <laughs> next week. Uh, and so anyway, another sorry. rule is you have to join the euro, right? Right. But Britain, having been an existing member, had, had an opt-out. Yeah. yeah. And also things like um, Britain had a rebate. So although it paid a load of money, weirdly, because, I don't know, Britain seems to negotiate really well. I, you know, I don't know. It was, they, they charmed them at the time. Gets a load of that money back without, like, having to do anything. So that like, sounds there's good. money with... Yeah, it's really good. And of course, the stupid thing is, eventually the UK probably will rejoin the EU. I'm probably, I'm, gonna, I'm, happy, to, I'm happy to put that on record, right? Well, but we're probably going to have to rejoin on these dog shit terms of, of, of you know, the, <laughs> the same as, as new members. It's, 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 it's ludicrous. You're going to have to and switch so, the euro. It'd be great. <laughs> well, that, that, you know, that, that, that might have to happen. Uh, and so basically, the, the, you know, the issue that the, the, that the European Union has is uh, it, it, hasn't, it's not, it hasn't been stress tested as an organization. And it is kind of one-track minded. It's predicated on a certain type of economic activity, a certain type of trade, and a certain type of governance, right? It's kind of predicated on all of the uh, member states having a very similar approach uh, to, to governance. And what we're seeing is a lot more divergence, right? We're seeing Poland is, is Turkey, you know, reaching to the right and well, yeah, exactly right wing and some. And, and so and so, you know, th- 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 there's maybe an argument to say, well what the EU calls the, the four pillars 
you know, the, the, what they claim is in order to create a single market, you can't separate the four freedoms. You know, maybe there's an argument to say, well, that, that, that only works if there's a smaller number of, of countries. And what are, do you remember what the four freedoms are? Oh, stop asking me specifics. <laughs> we can look them up uh, or whatever. Or it doesn't, I get it. It's, it's ba- so the basics are it's free trade and then a, a basic um, basement level of laws and practices we agree to, right? Yes, it, it's, it's basically then, all about, it's basically all about standards, right? Now that, I want to get that, to you, yeah. sorry, get to you specifically, the, av- the, the, the British person specifically. What will change in your life after yeah. December okay. 30th? Okay, well, that's, that's, a really, that's a really good question. So this is kind of the problem. Right now, we don't know. So as it stands... Britain has left the EU, or at least like it's not a member, or at least it doesn't have any representation in the European court, in the European Parliament, whatever. Uh, but right now, nothing's changed. So, for example, I could go to France and I would have to present a passport because it, Britain's not a member of Shenzhen, which is another thing. Uh, but I'm allowed to be treated as if I were a French citizen. So that is to say, uh, you know, I'm allowed to, to get a job without having to have a special visa. Um, you know, I'm allowed to sign on to social security once I've met a certain uh, number of years living in the country. And actually, I would like to say this because some people might not. Just also like send kids to school if you're living yes, there. Exa- yeah, exactly. Kind of and those kids have to be treated as if they were, as if they were French born. Okay. And, you know, so many people, many British people, in the, for example, retire in Spain, right? And, and they, they, they take the, the Spanish state pension and, you know, they use the Spanish healthcare system. So I, I'm allowed, you know, there are other rules like, say, for example, I had a problem here in Malaysia. In theory, I'm allowed to go to the German embassy and they have to treat me as if I were a German citizen. So, you wow. know, there's, there's, stuff, there's stuff like that too. Um, by that, I mean very rudely. Uh, <laughs> that a, I was going to say, is it a benefit to be a German citizen? And so, uh, you know, one thing I will say is there was a big, um, a big part of the Leave campaign was there's a lot of movement of labor from Eastern Europe to the United Kingdom. And of course, a lot... Is, 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 is said in relative terms, right? In terms of, of actual numbers and percentage of the UK economy, not many. Britain did very well to integrate a very large Polish uh, community when Poland joined the EU 15, 20 years ago. And some people say that that might just be because Polish people are, are white and it's kind of easier to, to, to integrate them because they don't look so different. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not 100% persuaded on that, but it's definitely true that there are a lot of Polish people who have settled in the UK and there haven't been any kind of problems. Uh, in, this, in the same way that there are purported to be problems about Romanians and Bulgarians in the UK. Uh, and the reason being is there's, a, you know, the, the, the cost of living in Romania and Bulgaria is significantly lower than the UK. And there's a big economic incentive for fit young men to come to the UK and to, to undercut uh, the, the local wages, right? You know, to work for less than minimum wage. Okay. Uh, even though they're not fit supposed to. Fit young men? What is that? Fit, yeah. Fit, sexy hunks coming over here. <laughs> but Ollie, but what you've explained here, this is actually like the dichotomy of the whole thing. The first thing, the benefits you said are things you can do in other countries, right? Which seem, and then the, the negatives yes. are things that affect the person who never, there are people who never leave England. Right, who spend their whole life? Like, the people are fitter in other countries coming in and precisely. They don't and I, I suppose I ha- to Spain. Yes, I suppose I haven't answered your question, which is how will it affect me? And yeah. I suppose the point is that when when the politicians are saying stuff like uh, today is is a momentous day because we're ending the freedom of movement, right? That's that's met with celebration because it's like, oh, that's good. That that means that that, that car washer won't won't set up shop in yeah, my no backyard. No one's coming in to take my job. Right, but actually, but like you. It's that's like, like I can't go that's other like, places. I mean, I'm stuck now. And so, you know, that, that, and actually, and what's, what's really ridiculous is people are wrong to say, it's just, it's not true that, that you have a carte blanche. It's not true that you come from Romania, you're automatically allowed to, to redeem benefits and you're allowed to get free council housing. There are rules which say that after a, after a certain period, it's either three months or six months, if you haven't shown that you've got sufficient healthcare, if you haven't shown that you've got a job or savings, the host country is allowed to send you back if they want to. The point is Britain never bothered with that because there's just no point, right? There's, there's, no, there's no point in building that infrastructure to send people back because why would you? So for me, what it means is uh, in my, I mean, if ever I went into law, right, I would have gone into intellectual property law. The European Patent Court was in London. London had a big influence on intellectual property. The, the, there are two schools of thought of intellectual property, right? There's kind of a, 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 a French school of thought and a British school of thought. Both are pervasive in the world. What's good about the EU was 
they kind of congealed. Now Britain's lost all its influence in that, in that world. And there's a lot of money there. Likewise, you know, so like for me personally, I was maybe one day considering if, you know, if none of this works out, something like intellectual property law in the European court, that kind of thing. As an individual now, that, that's now just not, not going to happen. Okay. Does um, Romania likewise, have a lot of international lawyers? <laughs> Hot. Uh, I'm not getting about law- international patent lawyers. Turkey needs not, lawyers, right? Now. Not, get, not getting back with my Hungarian ex, yeah. too. Um, yeah. but, but, but practically, it just means like the value of the, the pound is decreasing because, okay. you know, it's just, you know, like international financial, like the, the way that business works, right? Or the way that like investment banking works is mainly to do with like predicting the future, right? That's, that's basically what their job is. Yeah. And yeah. It's really hard to predict the oh. future. That's when that there's, works. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to, really hard to predict the future when uh, you just don't know what the government's going to do from one minute to the next. And so there's a reason why like big financial, the big financial hub of London, which created loads and loads of money for the UK uh, is now moving to places like Germany. Uh, and so like, ah, the, so the, money, so, so fine. So uh, business, Money's moving. Money's moving. Yeah, 100%. 100%. 100%. That's an issue. And and, and put it this way, right? Remember the whole point of the EU is it's about standards, which which is to say I I create, pick a product that I might create. I create uh, a kitchen gadget, right? I create an electrical kitchen gadget. I create a blender, right? That's my job. I'm a blender maker. You're a blender man. I'm a, I'm a blender man. Blenders by the Ollie. Business. The best in the blender business. Ollie's Blenders. Hey, do you remember that? Do you remember that blender brand which used to have YouTube videos where they would blend iPhones? <laughs> no, that sounds. <laughs> do you good remember that? That was I'm like in. my main. That, that was my main introduction to like the US way of doing business. That was like some of my <laughs> earliest YouTube memories. Wow. We should do like, that on our YouTube channel. Of, of like they hits. could they they could they could present this blender as a way in which you can uh, blend fruit to make a delicious smoothie. No, this man in his garage takes an iPhone and goes, <laughs> "Look what this can do." <laughs> There's absolutely no needs. There's absolutely no needs to create iPhone dust, but he does it to prove a point, which I never quite understood at the time. Uh, so if I'm doing that right, why would I base my operations in the UK? When, if I base my operations in France, I know I can set standard taxes, standard pricing, yeah. like, you know, standards on, on well, the U- safety standards, right, of, you know, how sharp the blades are allowed to be, right? If the UK has a, has a different standard, why on earth would I set up business there? And so there's, there's, a big, um, there's a big problem in terms of, like, supply chains. Like, most products aren't made in one country. Most products move from three or four different countries, right? They may be assembled in one, then some specialist part is added in another, then it kind of moves back. And, and a global supply chain is based on this idea of, like, a just-in-time delivery system, right? So you're not holding loads of product, you're not holding loads of stock. And if the UK is adding, for example, some kind of customs tariff, which means that a lorry might get stopped at the border for two or three days, or if there's some reason why you might have to get double tax because you're bringing your product in and out, the UK is just going to be taken out of that supply chain. So I don't think, I don't think it's quite so much a problem for like an individual business, right? Like a, a florist shipping to Germany. It's actually a problem for like people that are doing slightly more complex manufacturing, which basically when they're looking for their next specialist factory and like Britain does have quite a good uh, like science base, right? You know, like Britain does still have a, a, a good manufacturing sector. It's just not as attractive to wade through extra red tape to meet both UK and EU standards. And of course the reality is the big dumb punchline of this whole thing is of course eventually the uk are going to adopt the eu standards of course they are there's, there's just no reason yeah. why they wouldn't because well, i was going to say you could you could try to undercut the eu standards but then you wouldn't be able to trade with them right so if you had lower well, standards you, you can maybe exactly work out a trade deal point. with other countries like us or i'm sure our president would like that and you know but like you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to have the EU market. So there's and no that, 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 and that, that's, that's exactly the tension. And so that's why people that propose things like, well, maybe we'll leave the single market, leave those standards, but we'll stay in the customs union. The customs union is basically tariffs from outside the rest of the world. That still means that Britain can't set up a trade deal, a full trade deal with a country like the US because tariffs are a competency of the, of the EU. So we'd still have to abide by that. Mm. And so we, we are in a, in, a, in a big old pickle, really, because... Yeah, pickle. Yeah, yeah, that's a very British way of saying we're fucked because <laughs> there just aren't enough countries in the world with whom we could do a free trade deal, which would make up for the loss of trade, w- w- which we lose in the EU. So when, and this might be my last question, when can um, you vote? You touched on it earlier. When can you guys vote again? Is there like a minimum number of years Brexit has to exist? You have to be gone before you can I vote don't to come think back? So. I don't think so. I mean, in theory, in theory, if the UK made a re- if like say something uh, extraordinary happens right, and don't forget extraordinary things have happened a lot in the last five years, so it's this is possible. 
if there was some reason where there was a change of tide in the UK, I think the right leader could make the case to the EU that we stay on the existing terms, even though we're still in this transition period. We have until the end of the year. Uh, uh, particularly with this loom of no deal, right? I, don't th- I really don't think Boris Johnson is so stupid as to, as, to, as to let no deal happen. Even though it's written in law that we can't extend past the end of this year, laws can change, right? Laws yeah. can be changed. And, and so, so Renew, no deal means at the end of this year, if you don't have a deal, you leave with nothing. Yes, yeah, so no deal yes. is not, yeah. Well, not only do we leave with nothing, we still have to pay for our existing obligations, right? So, like, we've made a promise to pay for the EU budget. For, like, the EU budgets happen 10 years at a time. So, like, we're still going to pay for the, pay for the rest oh, of that. Uh, but, but, but we don't get, yeah, we don't get any of the access to the market. It, 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 it will be, I mean, there will literally be queues at Dover. You know, there'll be, oh, it'll be a complete shit show. It really will be. Yeah. So, there's no, but not, a specific answer to your question, Turner, is I don't think there's anything which says that we can't, as of, like, the day after we leave... There's no reason that we can't say, right, we'd like to, we'd like to join. <laughs> like coming back up with a hat and a moustache going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can well, we join your club, please? <laughs> yes. Our name is the United Kingdom. <laughs> but no, I was because could you bring back, have another referendum? Or is the argument against that being like, then people won't take any future referendum seriously? Well, exactly. 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 Yeah. If, if, the refer- if the referendum were done properly in the first place, which is a two-stage one, right? Yeah. Shall we go and negotiate something? Do you like what we've negotiated? Then that would make sense. Honestly, the main problem that we have right now is unless, there's the, unless the backstop is invoked, um, we've got a, a, a serious prospect of, of, of a war of some kind in Northern Ireland. Additionally, we've got the Scottish problem, which is that Nicola Sturgeon, who's the, the Scottish uh, Prime Minister. Dang, do you call her Prime Minister? Yes, yeah, I think you do. Uh, she Just has say done it. Ex- <laughs> She's, yeah, well, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, yeah uh, what, we call her the, we call her the Wicked Witch <laughs> of the First. The North. The, the North. Northern Territories. Oh, you hear that, uh, listeners? We, we call her the... Uh, the Highland lead lead dress. No, so she's handled COVID uh, much better than Boris Johnson, right? And so her popularity is stormingly high, and she leads the pro uh, independence party, the SNP. And so there's a good chance that this might provide enough fuel for her to do another referendum on Scottish independence. Now, of course, Boris Johnson has said you can't do that, but that's not going to stop her, is it? Right? <laughs> just like in, well, it's just yeah. not, is it? Now you can say don't do a referendum. She'll go, okay, fine, we're going to do one anyway. They're, they're just like, to just like, to. yeah. Yeah, well, just it's just like in in um, Spain with Catalan, right? You know, Spain was like, "Don't do another referendum." Catalan were like, mm, "We're going to do another referendum." <laughs> uh, so uh, that, that's that's you know that's a problem, right? Because Sc- Scotland voted overwhelmingly in favour to remain in the EU. So there's a lot of pro-EU sentiment in Scotland. So there's every chance, you know, I really wouldn't rule it out that Scotland remains a member of the EU and the and, and Look, separates from from the UK. You guys have different soccer teams. I'm wearing an England jersey in honor of this episode. But you, thank if, you. If so- Scotland's their own team. Northern Ireland. You're all different countries. You shouldn't be all together. It's you have to pick. You have to choose. I, that's uh, that's how we look at it in America, at least. I think. Yes. Well, I mean, the, the, there's the, the, there is. The, I mean, look, if I if I were from Scotland, I I would. I, and you know, I know, I know people who in the last five years have changed their minds from wanting to remain in the union to wanting to, to, to separate because the problem is the UK parliament just doesn't, it's based in London. It doesn't represent national interests and the devolved parliament system where the Welsh have their own assembly and Northern Ireland has their own. Um, and, and so does Scotland. It's, it's, it's the thing is the one thing which should have happened, which is each of the individual constituent parts of the United Kingdom should have all approved yes for this major constitutional change. <laughs> That's another right? good point. Yes, <laughs> it, like that that didn't happen, right? It was done on a on a kind of a, an overall basis, and so that that might be reason enough to say, well, this system's just not working for us. England can can go do its own thing. It, it seems well, to me that English democracy in general is not working. Maybe I should go back to the Queen being just in charge because every time you put anything to a vote, it seems to be. I mean, well, the other know, option is, yeah. you know, we could always add a 51st state. Yeah, right. we're, we're looking <laughs> Puerto Rico and the, and the England. That'll balance it out. It's, uh, Ollie, I, mean, I think uh, we're going to have to get you back on after after December 31st. And you can tell us what you can you can update us on what's happening. Yeah, Scotland I'll, gets I'll, in, yeah. I'll, I'll be there like kind of like eating a rat carcass from behind the bin. <laughs> just just <laughs> like, like having, having to speak to you in French because it's all that it's all that matters anymore. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is the podcast. Yeah, Ollie, that's a good one. 
Thank you for doing it. Uh, listen to his podcast. My pleasure. Japan by River Cruise, River Boat. There is another podcast called Japan by Riverboat. And we I'm going to have to listen oh, so good. I figure out what a river cruise is. So I'm going to start tuning in. Kaplan, it's a cruise on a river. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what part of that's hard to understand. Uh, anyway, Japan by River Cruise. Also, when he's touring again, pig in Japan. Also, you will listen. Keep listening to this podcast because we will have him back on to update. At some point, we need to do an update episode where we do everybody for like 15 minutes so they can tell us how these stories have progressed. So we might end up doing that sometime soon. Ali, thank you for doing it. Hopefully uh, you can get back to jolly old England at some point. Should we, soon. Just, should we just record that future episode now? I can just I can just do it in a sentence. <laughs> yeah, we're still fucked. <laughs> you <laughs> are now it. Malaysian. That is it. That's the episode. That's a great way to go out. Ollie, thanks for doing it. Kaplan, what should we do? I think on that note, let's get lost. Get lost. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.